0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Heart and Hustle in Hamilton County, a podcast about the people, places, and policies that govern our local response to the COVID-19 outbreak. I'm your host, Jeff Aluto, county administrator, and during this episode, I'm here with my co-host, Bridget Doherty. Hello. And we're going to be discussing issues, challenges, and opportunities that Hamilton County faces as we continue to battle this global pandemic. So uh, I'm very happy today to introduce... Um, one of the the stars of of our local uh, Hamilton County leadership team, and that is the director of our Department of Reentry, Trina Jackson.
1: (laughs) Welcome, Trina. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much.
0: So, uh, and just as a a way for folks who may not understand exactly what a Department of Reentry is, um, congregate settings like group homes, senior living facilities, and correctional facilities are obviously extremely vulnerable uh, to viral outbreaks. And that's why Hamilton County went on red alert when it came to the safety and well-being of staff and inmates at the Hamilton County Justice Center, making sure that folks are safe on the inside, but also making sure that they're, ta- that they're taken care of uh, when they leave the facility during a pandemic. And that's where Trina uh, and her work really comes in. So Trina, again, thanks for joining us today. Welcome to Heart and Hustle in Hamilton County. Um, And tell us a little bit about your department that you lead and the clients that you serve so that people who are listening might understand what a Department of Reentry does.
2: Right. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. Um, The Office of Reentry was created about seven years ago, supported by the Hamilton County Commissioners. And our role really is to connect returning citizens in Hamilton County to resources in the community to either maintain their stability or gain stability. Um, The other responsibility we really have here in Hamilton County is to identify the ways to reduce recidivism, strategies that reduce recidivism. So we're working with anyone who is released from any correctional facility, whether it's locally, state, or federal. And the goal is to make sure that, that we are able to help them along this journey to become stable in the community.
1: You know, I, I love telling stories about reentry and the great work that Trina and her staff does. You know, to to put a personal face on this, Trina, what, do you have, like, a favorite success story from a client? Right. <laughs>
2: yes, I, I, I do. Um, our office, we um, have a partnership with the Hamilton County Justice Center, well, the Sheriff's Department, and to be specific. And um, we started a pod called the Reentry Pod several years ago. And we created this pod with the sheriff's office. And the goal of it is to create pre-release plans for 16 men um, that are in that pod. And it's really an opportunity to to help them with this um, life plan when they're released. Because, you know, everybody needs a plan, right? (laughs) And if you're coming from a congregate setting or you're coming from, you know, the Justice Center, you need to know what you're going to do next so that you're not coming back into that facility. So we have two gentlemen that were actually in this pod, and um, it's their names are Chris and Chris, <laughs> and so um, prior to coming to the pod, they were in the general population, and they had some plans to, you know, once they got out, to rob a certain part of um, the Hamilton County community, I would say, and, you know, kind of continue on this journey where they were dealing with addiction, and um, separation from their families, and so they were put into the pod, you know, they came, it's not, you're not forced to be in the pod, you you make a choice. And so uh, one of my coordinators built a relationship with them while they were actually, you know, in general population, came to the pod and they describe it as, you know, coming to a place where they had hope and, <coughs> excuse me. And so they went through the curriculum and they were released to one of our partners basically for sober living and while they're in sober living, they gained a skill, you know, to be able to work on homes and things like that. And so now they're gainfully employed, they're sober, and they are mentoring other people. So that's a tremendous success story for us.
1: I like that you brought up Chris and Crisk because it, it was such a great story that, you know, you, you brought them to me and, and we had Channel 9 highlight them. And you know they're they're good friends. They supported each other, and they're just so thankful to be back in their kids' lives right, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and, and what you didn't say is they had fully planned on robbing all of Reading <laughs> while they were incarcerated. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, just the ch- how what a change that the pod had in their lives when they came out, and just what a difference it made. And I think, you know, especially during a pandemic, a lot of inmates are coming out. And, you know, especially early on, like, say, back in March when the pandemic started, you know, the streets are quiet. You know, they don't have a lot in their pocket. And that's what happened to Chris. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, you know, not a quarter to call um, and use a pay phone situation. Right. So, I mean, it really helped turn, you know, his life around. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah. with that, Trina, so take us back uh, to the first time that you knew um, when you were made aware that COVID-19 was really starting to uh, happen in the community in when was the first time that you that it really hit you that the operations of your department was going to change significantly?
2: Right. Um, it was around March. I think. I, I think it was March 16th, actually. And you know, we received the messages from the county um, about you know stay-at-home orders that were issued by the governor, and it it was kind of shocking. You know, my first thought was, well, how are we going to support our people? You know, we can't leave them without support because they're gonna need it even more now with the pandemic um, because it's so isolating. So I think that was the first time I started thinking, okay, how are we going to be able to you know provide this coordination of care um, without being face to face with these individuals?
0: And to be clear, um, how many for the people listening, how many people typically on an annual basis uh, will walk through your door?
2: Um, in two thousand and nineteen, we had over fourteen hundred and fifty um, people that we were supporting.
0: So close to fifteen hundred people mm-hmm. that are coming through your door every year or that are on a daily basis in your database, if you will, mm-hmm. of people that you are supporting. So it's those fifteen hundred people who have left the Justice center or come back from a federal institution who rely on you mm-hmm. and your case and your coordinators and your department for um, that linkage to the support services they need. And so, for you, that had to be almost horrifying. We've got 15 people that are re- relying upon us mm-hmm. to make sure that that they are um, uh, not slipping back into what got them into the system to begin with, mm-hmm. and how you go about dealing with that. So, right. how, how what was the first? What was your first thought in terms of, or what were some of the first things you did mm-hmm. in terms of figure, trying to figure out different ways to stay in touch with this community?
2: Right. So, um, I think one of the first things we did was convene our team. You know, just to see, you know, what are your thoughts and how are you feeling about this? Um, and so we went to remote operations. Um, we had no way to see people face to face. You know, we don't have a system where, you know, they can log on and we can log on. We didn't, we didn't have that. And so the the best thing we could do was kind of shore up our telephone interactions with people um, making sure that, you know, we all were on the same page as to, you know, what were we asking, you know, clients being, being clear what we can actually provide now that we can't see people face-to-face. So it was really an internal coordination that had to happen to make sure that we were um, effectively providing support for people given the circumstances.
1: So you had to um, get pretty creative, I guess, on some of these phone calls and trying to really connect them with services. What... What, uh, what were you able to accomplish? Well, actually, um, I have another story.
2: Yep. Do tell. <laughs> okay. Well, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Since we've been working remotely, of course, you know, when we have a new client, we actually don't have the ability to identify them by their face. You know, we don't know what they really look like. But we still have that responsibility of providing them support. <clears throat> excuse me. So um, it takes... It seems to to require, you know, a lot more um, interaction with that client, you know. If they were walking in our in our office downstairs, you know, a lot of things would be taken care of for them within an hour and a half of them being in our office. But now it's, you know, repeat phone calls. So one of my coordinators, Denise Charles, she had a client who came from River City. Um, she needed housing, so she was able to help her, like, navigate the system and get housing. But also... Um, Call upon her like community stakeholders or not stakeholders, but you know her network to actually furnish the apartment. So <clears throat> the services can happen. Sometimes it may take a little bit longer for us to get it done, but it it does happen.
0: Yeah. So in, with that in mind, talk about if you would a little bit, Trina, about um, when someone comes through your doors. What are the what are the top services that people leaving the criminal justice system and trying to reintegrate themselves into society? What are they mostly looking for when they come through your door?
2: Right. Um, Most people are looking for housing, employment, um, and possibly mental health care or addiction services. So, you know, because that addiction and mental health care they're getting while they're in in the facility, you know, they need that continued once they're out. And so they need help with that. Um, and then the other thing about it is if, since they're sober while they're incarcerated, they need to be able to continue that. So we are able to connect them to sober living so that they can try to maintain their sobriety. Um, but it's always a challenge with housing because we all know um, that affordable housing is a, a great shortage here in Hamilton County. And when you say affordable, um, that doesn't always necessarily apply to our clients because they often have zero income so the need for gap housing of some sort to help people kind of get through their first phases of being you know released and get their you know kind of get their ducks in a row get things put together for themselves um it is it's important and so that's a that's kind of a challenge um but employment wise some people are ready for employment when they get out some people are not but they they need to work right so um you know, we try to kind of coach them through that process because we don't want to set anybody up for failure. and We don't want to send them to an environment, you know, that's really hard for them to navigate. And, of course, when any of us take a new job, you know, getting used to the culture and, you know, just kind of understanding what expectations there are for you, it's a challenge. So imagine coming from incarceration and having to do that as well. So, um, yeah, those are some of the things that we really spend a great deal of time helping well, people through.
0: Good good segue. Um, you mentioned employment, Trina. Um, one of the programs that that you have launched recently or over the past couple of years um, has been one of the ones that I just think is absolutely fantastic, and it's the partnership that you've put in place uh, with River City Correctional Institute. So talk a little bit about the workforce training program that you do out there.
2: Great. Um, I'm excited about that program as well. It really focuses on women. um, Quite often, justice-involved women, the programming for them is kind of sparse. So um, we we created this partnership with River City and Cincinnati State, and the goal of it is to equip women with their certificate in supply chain logistics. And, um, you know, we want women to have careers. We want everybody to have a career. But, you know, sometimes it's even more challenging for women to get a career because the jobs that are available to them require, um, you know, a lot more physical, um, you know, investment as well as, you know, the fact that they have children, you know, it just kind of it, it interferes with that. So having career, you know, we hope will be more conducive to them maintaining their family life and things like that. So instead of waiting for, you know, these women to be released to get their certificate, they're getting their certificates while they're incarcerated, so I'm so excited I can actually say that, you know, 28 women have actually been through this program and completed it, um, and, you know, we weren't able to do it in 2020, but prior to that, in 2019, you know, the program was really strong and actually had support from the community as well to actually offer this training to them.
0: Yeah, you do, just on a personal note, you do a great job with that and everything down to the uh, the graduation ceremony, which... Uh, uh, I've been very honored to be invited to from from time to time, and it's just a, it's just a great cer- it's just a great program, a great ceremony. It's just fantastic to see the pride on these women's faces as they're as they're going through that ceremony, and how much it means to them to recognize that they now have an opportunity out in society as opposed to um, uh, being led through the same channels that got them into the system to begin with. So that you do, just do a great job on that.
2: Thank you, I appreciate it. And one thing I would add is that. Um, we're planning to restart that program this year, um, hopefully in April or May. And so our new partner is Northern Kentucky University and the new training that women will receive um, focuses on IT and coding. So they'll be able to get their certificate
1: in IT right there at the
0: City. That's awesome, that's great. Mm-hmm.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. Another project that you were working on that kind of got uh, the kibosh during the pandemic was the One Stop mm-hmm. and it was gaining in popularity. Uh, Can you explain what the one-stop is?
2: Right. Um, We kind of adopted this model from Franklin County reentry, and the goal is to um, reduce the barriers to accessing supportive services um, for returning citizens as well as all of Hamilton County. And so um, what we do with this program is we bring multiple providers that provide basic services to one location on the final Friday of every month. And, you know, you have access to a housing provider or be able to actually, you know, apply for housing through CMHA. Um, and you also can, you know, talk to someone about expunging your your record. Um, you can immediately go to train, not training, but temp, um, treatment and things like that. So the overall goal is if we can provide people with actual service and not just a um, like a um, resource fair, Mm -hmm. that's the goal, right? Uh, We don't want people to just come and pick up information. We want them to walk away with some type of service. And so if they're coming to the one stop, they're going to either make an appointment with someone or start their um, assessment and maybe even go directly to treatment if they want to.
1: Right, so it's not like here's a pamphlet. Mm-hmm. Read about us later. It's more direct connection now. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, what's going to happen in the future? You're trying to bring this back. We but- are, <laughs> we are.
2: COVID's not helping, but um, we're hoping to either get this going in March or, or April. Um, we need a larger facility, and so we're looking at you know maybe Duke Energy, or, or maybe if we have to go to two days for the one stop as opposed to one. Um, and use a smaller space. So yeah, but we definitely plan on bringing that back this spring.
0: So Bridget and I have been hammering you with with questions here, uh, Trina, give you the opportunity to toot your own horn a little bit. You are a 2020 National Association of County Award winner. So talk to us a little bit about the the award and the program.
2: Well, thank you. Um, Yes, we received a NACO award last year for innovation and you know it was it was an award for our reentry pod and um the interesting part uh, thing about that is a lot of counties don't have programming um in their jails and hamilton county is one of um, very few county jails that actually offer programming to try to reduce recidivism so um you know it it's just not the reentry offices you know award it's for hamilton county and and our chair's department, because, you know, without them, you know, we couldn't do this work. You know, we couldn't do this work in the pod without them welcoming in this type of programming.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I think, you know, the 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 discussion and the community dialogue that's occurred, not not just over the past several years, but over decades, is, you know, it, it from a county perspective, the a county is mandated to operate a, a, a county jail or justice center, and it does that, uh, every county in Ohio operates a, a, a jail or justice center of some sort. The question is what is the goal of that of that operation? Is it to house people and house people who um, have, are, are offenders, or is it to um, provide a, a an avenue and a channel for people to uh, correct their, to course correct their lives and reenter society in a way that makes them productive members of that society? And you and the partners that you've worked with at the county have done a fantastic job of turning that facility into something uh, that the county can be proud of in terms of reducing recidivism and putting in place programs that make sure that people that leave that facility are less likely to come back again. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I appreciate that.
1: And also the impact on the, the taxpayers because of all the money that is saved. And I think you've quantified that mm-hmm. in, in the award, too, the money mm-hmm. that's saved from kind of stopping that revolving door right. from spinning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean,
2: you know, if we take a
1: look at the cost of housing someone
2: for a year at the the jail, which is $26,000, and the fact that they rotate in and out of the jail quite often, um, we're saving, and I don't want to give you the exact figure because I don't remember the exact figure, but it's over a million dollars just keeping um, the number of people that we've kept out of the jail for 12 months. So um, to kind of circle back to that, we track people for 12 months after their release from the reentry pod, and we have about an 11% recidivism rate, which compared to all of Hamilton County, um, the last numbers we have is about 2017, was about 35% as far as recidivism is concerned. So, you know, 11% compared to 35%, um, the model seems to be working. That's fantastic.
0: Thank you. Awesome. Well, Trina, thank you so much. Uh, for being with us today. We really appreciate it and appreciate all the great work you do uh, for for Hamilton County. Uh, And on behalf of my co-host, Bridget Doherty, uh, thanks uh, to all of you for listening to episode four of Heart and Hustle in Hamilton County. Uh, Here's just a reminder to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other directors. You can find the podcast on our website at hamiltoncountyohio.gov on the county administrator's page. And thanks again for listening. We'll talk with you next time on Heart and Hustle.